Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. And for those of you that are online, welcome. Let's give a hand to our online congregation that is watching from home. Amen. It's just a blessing to be here. I want to thank Pastor Omar and Sister Letty for entrusting me with the stage this morning, for the pastoral team for allowing me to be here as well, uh, and just trusting me in delivering to this morning's word. And um, also, today's a special day, and it's not because it's a Super Bowl. All right. It is my wife's birthday today. So happy birthday, honey. Thank you for everything. And, um, and so I know some of you are going to be celebrating the Super Bowl, but don't forget it's my wife's birthday. Tell her happy birthday, all right? Because that's more important than any two red teams beating each other up. All right? But we're in a series, we're in a series uh, this month called Altered. And it's really talking about all, uh, being, having an altered life. Once we re- receive Christ, uh, our life is, is, it should change. It should be different. And, uh, and, and Jesus has a way of doing that when you start to read his word and pray and talk to the Lord. It, it, it has a way of just changing you. Um, it's almost a form of meditation. Some would argue that it is meditation when you start to talk to God and uh, it forces you to reflect on things and be honest with yourself and be honest with him. And that starts to change you. It's a form of spiritual therapy to say the least and and once we accept Jesus our lives should be completely altered should be changed and uh, our theme verse is 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 listen to this it's, it's very profound this is Jesus saying or talking it says but you are not like that you are a special group of people this is what Peter's saying that God has chosen so you're a special group of people that God has chosen you serve God like priests who serve a king. You are his own holy people who belong to him. He has taken you out of the dark place of sin and he has brought you into this great light. He has done all this so that you can tell people how great he is. In past times, you were not people who knew God, but now you are God's people. In past times, God did not forgive you, but now he has been very kind to you and he has forgiven you. The fact that God has forgiven us should really start to change us. That means you start to reflect on all the bad things you've done, all the trauma that you've gone through, and you realize that word forgiveness holds a lot of weight now. Because you're not forgiven for one circumstance that took place in one area or one specific time, or just for a season, this forgiveness is eternal. That, that alone should alter you. It should change you. And so when we're altered, it begins to affect our relationships with others. People should see that you've been altered. You're putting to death the old you, and you're being raised to become someone that God has intended you to be. You were born into sin and now you've been cleansed from your sin. And this is the gospel in so many words. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ that we become altered uh, through his love, 
through his atonement, our lives should be different and it should be changed. And so this morning, I want to ask you to just bow your heads with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come to know you more. Father, we ask that you would draw us closer to you this morning, that you would speak to us in new ways. Father, that you would tell us something new, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes for deeper understanding. And Lord, I thank you that you're a God that continues to mold us and shape us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So when you accepted Jesus, all your relationships should now change because of that one relationship that you have with him. All your relationships should begin to shift the way you treat people, right? I mean, I remember when I got saved, I, I was fortunate to get saved at the age of 18. And so I got saved, I realized I had to treat my parents differently. Well, number one, I'm an adult now, but you know, at 18, and then I had to watch what I say, you know, I had to respect, because there's there instruction in the Bible for kids, right, to treat their parents, and even adults, to treat their parents with respect, regardless of how much money you make or whatever title you obtain in adulthood. Mom is mom, dad is dad, right? So grandma is grandma, grandpa is grandpa. I mean, you treat your elders with respect because it's biblical, right? So it doesn't matter, though. We, we, our relationships need to shift. They need to change. And I remember uh, where um, I was saved for a little bit, and I was in youth ministry, uh, when I first came to the church, that was the ministry I, I was attracted to. So I was in youth ministry as a youth leader. And as we would, you know, through seasons of youth ministry, you know, there's different things that people get attracted to. And one of the things during this time um, was, was paintballing. Right? You guys remember paintballing? Right? And so paintballing was like a big deal. There's Hollywood sports down the street. We would go and, you know, we'd empty our bank accounts and you know, not eat and just play, play ball. Like the kids would just love it, right? So we take like 30 kids there. But then we got into airsofting. And airsofting, it was, you couldn't really do it anywhere at the time. So you had to find like a park or somewhere to hide and do it and shoot each other, right? So the youth, a lot of the kids started by guns. I bought, I bought one, right? And so we throw them in the back of my car. And I remember just seeing my car, the chunk of my car. If you know about airsoft guns, they look like real guns, like... They are real guns. They're steel. They're heavy. And so some of them have orange tips, but they started coloring the orange tip black. Oh, my God. Some people are saying, oh, my God. Well, why? Because it, at that point, it looks like a real gun. Now, now it looks like a real gun in public. So, I, you know, we said, hey, everyone's got guns. Let's get a bunch of guys, and let's go find a place to airsoft. So we found this stupid idea, but we found this great place off the 710 freeway, um, where it's like an aqueduct and, and there was a lot of trees, but we could play there and we could do it out of plain sight. And, and I, so we had like 30 kids and, and guys go out there and we're just shooting each other. It was literally one of the best times of my life. And so, but it got, it, it got real scary fast because as we were playing, we we're playing for like a couple hours. So now it's, you know, you're tired, you're hungry, we go out. I, I start walking out. I'm like one of the first to walk out. And I got the, the gun strapped to me right here, right? My tip was orange, but the person I was walking out with me, his tip was not orange, it was black. And so I walk out, and sure enough, the cops are right here. And they have their guns drawn. And I'm thinking, my heart just sinks, right? Because I'm thinking in my 
oh my gosh, I got like 25 kids in the woods there on the side of the 710 freeway. Like all this realization, right? And I'm like, I hope nobody else comes out, right? And then sure enough, the cop tells me to, you know, get down on the ground. So I'm laying there on my stomach and then, you know, throw your weapon. It was a toy gun, but whatever. Throw your weapon to the side. And then he picks me up and he just kind of, you know, he's manhandling me, man, because I'm a criminal. <laughs> right? And so you're laughing because you know I'm not a criminal. But, you know, to his, you know, to back up the, the police officer, I, I had a gun. At least that's what he's thinking. So he throws me on the hood. And I remember when he threw me on the hood, my chin, like, hit the hood. And I bite my tongue and I could taste a little blood. Well, when you taste blood, it makes you angry. <laughs> At least it made me angry. And I, I, I had to do one of these, like, okay, he's really disrespecting me, right? I haven't said, I haven't really said much, but he's treating me really bad, all right? And so the, the other guy I was with, they're doing the same thing to him. Then someone else walks out. And he's a little more aggressive. Okay, he walks out. And now I'm looking, I see, I see all the kids are up against the chain link fence with the trees. The cops can't see them. And I'm like, I'm telling him, don't come out. Stay there. He comes out and he, sure enough, he gets manhandled, but he's resisting. You know, he's like, no, no. And they throw him in the back of the car. And I'm like, oh my God, our youth ministry's over. This this just happened. So then I start talking to the cops. I said, you got to remain calm. I really started to think biblically. I'm like, God help. I'm praying. I'm like, God help us, you know, help these officers to understand that we're not criminals or terrorists, even though we look like, even though we look like that today, you know, give me, so I negotiated with the guys, started to become their friends, you know, and real friendly. And you know what? The cop let us go. They let all of us go. As a matter of fact, they didn't even confiscate our airsoft guns. They actually checked each one. They're like, go, just go home. Get out of here. I told him we're part of a church, this and that. I said, we were just doing something. He's like, do you know how stupid that was? He was right in my face yelling at me. I go, I realize it now. <laughs> you know? But he's yelling at me like we're in boot camp. I mean, I really got it handed to me that day. And, uh, but I realized how far... You know, love can go and just honesty and being, remaining calm and not really letting your, your emotions get the best of you. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, it says this about relationships. Jesus tells us, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Now, when Jesus says in the law and the prophets, he's talking about everything that had been written at this time. You know what's great? We have all that has been written since that time. So when Jesus references that, that means that is the, one of the most important rules is that we need to love each other. He goes on to say in John chapter 15, verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do, do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. We need to love one another 
because he loves us. Pastor Isaac said it brilliantly in his, in his offering. It's the law of reciprocity. Where Jesus is giving unto us, we need to give unto others as well. The things that we receive from God are things that we should be giving out to others. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he says this, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Here's the problem that we have with that. We don't let our light shine a lot of the times. We are the ones putting our light underneath the bowl. As mentioned here, we don't put our light on the stand. Sometimes we don't want people to know at our work that we are Christians, that we go to church, that we have Christian friends, that we go to Bible study and connect group. We don't want other people to know that. But what God is telling us is that we need to reciprocate what he's given us. That's a heavy load. When I think about what Christ gave us, he gave us grace, forgiveness, Right? And then when I think about our people in the church, humanity, and our relationships with one another, I really think about how we should view each other. Sometimes we view each other in negative ways. Earlier this morning, there was a lot of red jerseys here today. There's a lot of upset Raider fans that Chiefs fans are happy. There's a lot of, you know, and, and it's like sometimes we're judgmental in those areas too. You know, it's like, can't we just be happy that one of our friend's team is in the Super Bowl? No, you can't. <laughs> of course not. Right? But how we treat each other is so important because we see how Christ did it. You know, I think about Christ, how he, he just was above every emotion, right? But our problem is we're easily offended. We're sensitive due to our past experiences, I was telling another brother in the church a couple weeks ago, we're having a great conversation together. And I said, did you know everybody has trauma? Everybody has trauma. We have trauma. I have trauma, you have trauma. And because of that trauma, we treat each other certain ways. We treat our spouses certain ways. We treat our, our, our parents or our family, our children certain ways based off the trauma that's happened in our lives. We're going through life in conflict and that's what I wanna to talk to you today. We're talking about diffusing conflict this morning. But we're going through life with conflict, trauma, problems with each other. People in the church are gonna offend you. They're gonna hurt you. Sometimes we're not gonna understand you. Sometimes you're gonna be emotional. Sometimes you're gonna offend people directly or indirectly. You're gonna be offended directly or indirectly. There's a thin line between this love and hate, but God has built a community of believers to help each other out. We see that in the way he, the system of discipleship that he, that he brought about. You know, I was reading a, a verse the other day in the Bible, and I didn't have enough time, but I really wanna look into it. The verse literally said, him and the 72 disciples. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. 72 disciples, like Christ literally had a following and he had a church of believers when the church hadn't even been established yet. That doesn't get established until Acts chapter two at the day of Pentecost when Christ had already ascended, but the Holy Spirit comes upon people. 
And if you were to believe that the Holy Spirit comes upon people, how much more should you value the relationships that you have in the church? Right? And so when I think about this thin line and this conflict, we have to remember that in order to diffuse any conflict, we have to come to a place where we're always looking to forgive. Therefore, we should have these perceptions in life. And Jesus gives us these perceptions. When I start to read his word and understand him, he gives us a lot of perceptions about life. Even though it's hard to forgive, you have to change your perspective. Even in the most difficult times to forgive somebody that has wronged you, you have to find somehow to change your perspective. And I believe that one way to do this is you have to remember the first point of today's sermon, that you have to be tough. And I'm not talking about physically tough, okay? Because most of you aren't. I'm just kidding. I'm talking mentally tough. There's this toughness where you're not easily offended. This toughness where it's not about physical toughness, but it's about mental toughness. See, today there's a championship football game being played. Okay, and so when you think about it, the biggest players don't win and the best players don't win. Really, the people that win are the ones that are mentally tough. The ones that can withstand adversity. The ones that can overcome failure. The ones that can overcome each other's mistakes because they love each other. That is a team mentality. That is a mental toughness and a mental fortitude in order to have success in life. Jesus was mentally tough. He was offended constantly. You know, at least he should have been offended constantly. People were intentionally trying to offend him. Day after day, trying to tear down that he's not the son of God. Even though he would teach about the law and the prophets, the Pharisees would begin to try and cut him down in his teachings. Try to gain influence over even his own disciples. They tried to betray him in so many manners. And, all it, and what it eventually happened is he was betrayed by somebody that was internally. You ever been around someone that takes offense to things easily? Isn't that your most favorite person to go out and hang out with? I don't know about you, but I don't like that at all. Right? I don't want to be inter- feeling like I'm talking to you being interviewed all the time. Right? It's not fair. Right? But you, you, you've seen those people where they're just easily offended. Maybe it's a friend at work or a family member. Right? Just easily offended. You're always walking on eggshells, trying not to crack them around them. As a matter of fact, you can't tell them anything because they're going to be offended. So it's just nodding like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh. It's a lot of agreement. You're the, turning into this yes person rather than a good friend. But it's intense. Right? We shouldn't be that way. We need to be mentally tough. In other words, we need to be able to read God's word, let it offend us, and then say, okay, that one stung a little bit. I'm going to have to fix that in my life. Because that's what the scriptures do. They bring correction. Right? And so when we say, well, what about a brother? That brother, he offended me, you know? Like, he's got all his life together, this and that. It's like, it doesn't matter about his life. We're talking about your life. He's got a, you got something when we're coming to you with an issue, right? You can't be easily offended because scriptures tell us that we need to address each other in certain manners, in certain ways. But Jesus was tough, man. It's safe to say that his perspective was just way different than ours. It was completely different. So how was Jesus tough? Well, I'll tell you this. He wasn't afraid to confront sin. That's probably my favorite thing. 
right? And let me tell you something about that. Some of you are afraid to confront sin, right? You're afraid of sin. You've allowed it to enter your life. You allowed the bitterness to grow. You've allowed the offense to take place, but you're afraid to confront the sin because you're afraid of sin. You're afraid of it. We don't want to confront people because sometimes we're afraid of them. But even in your own life, you don't even know how to confront sin because you're afraid of it. Well, what, what, why do I have to give that up? Why do I have to change in this area? See, Jesus wasn't afraid of sin. He confronted it all the time. He called out sin immediately. In other words, he didn't let it grow. He didn't let it you know, turn into something greater than it already was. But he called out sin immediately. He didn't wait. And more importantly, he had a process in place for handling conflict. See, a lot of times we don't have a process for handling conflict. So therefore, we live with bitterness. We choose unforgiveness rather than forgiveness because we don't have a plan of how to reconcile with conflict with somebody else. And Jesus gives us a direction on this. He had a plan on how to deal with conflict in the church. In Matthew chapter 18, he said, in verse 15, it says, if another believer, believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat the person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. So when someone comes to us and tells us, Something tough, something that we don't want to hear, something about ourselves, how should we respond to that? Well, it shouldn't be in conflict. We need to be tough to be able to take criticism. I've said this before, I want people to tell me if I do something wrong. Now, not all of you, okay? I'm not asking for managers this morning to manage my life, but I am asking for a few and they know who they are. My brothers that are close to me know that they can correct me. You could bring that correction to me. I'd rather know what I'm doing wrong than burn in hell for it later on. So tell me. Go ahead and judge me. Some people say, I don't want to be judged. Well, you can judge me because I'd rather be in heaven than in hell. That's the perspective I'm talking about this morning. The world has taught us to say, well, don't let anybody judge you. Okay, Tupac, I understand what you meant by that. <laughs> Only God can judge you, but you ain't even talking to God, so how are you going to be judged? So, again, when the church comes and your brother comes to you, or sister in Christ comes to you and wants to talk about something, you talk about it. You listen. Because we don't want conflict in the church. See, another important thing that Jesus did, I told you, Jesus had a lot of people following him. He had community. In other words, Jesus didn't do life alone. Right? And so we should not want to do life alone. The solitude you want is worse for you than the community of God that wants to build around you. God wants to build a community of believers, of believers that are going to support you. I was doing some research, and there's a clinical condition known as hyper-independence. And hyper-independence is when an individual is extremely self-reliant and avoids going to other people for support or help. 
It can also stem from stress response in individuals with trauma. There's that word again. So we become hyper-independent. I mean, ah, I don't need that. I got it all together. Bank account's good. Career's doing good. I don't need the church. I don't need brothers telling me what to do. I've done life. I'm older than them. I know more. We've all said these things in our head. Maybe just me, because you guys are quiet this morning. But we've all said these things in our head. Oh, I'm better. You know, I know more about this subject, more than them. Right? And we... we what, we, what ends up taking place in our own minds is we begin to shut people out and we say, no, I'd rather be independent. I'd rather figure out this problem on my own. No, God is telling you, you need godly community. You're gonna need a community of believers that are gonna help you see the flaws that are inside of us. That are gonna help you change your perspective and shift your way of thinking. See, the biggest thing I've, I've realized is I've gone through spiritual battles in my life and I know that they're spiritual battles. And I've always realized that the enemy does not want me to come to resolution with other people. The enemy wants me to stay bitter. The enemy wants me to stay mad. The enemy wants me to stay mad even sometimes at my spouse. Sometimes, right? We've all, some of us have been there. Where the enemy is taking complete stronghold of your life and telling you, hey, look, you need to be alone. No, you don't. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We're not designed to be alone. We're not, there's something in prison called solitary confinement. Go ask prisoners if they like that part of jail or prison. They don't. Because solitary confinement is one of the scariest things as you're in your thoughts. And so when you think about that, the enemy wants you alone. He wants to cause division and divide you from the spiritual believers in your life. See, when you're alone in your thoughts, you start to grow that bitterness inside of you. That trauma that you've received when you were young begins to grow. It becomes bigger, and now it's a greater problem because we haven't addressed it. It causes resentment towards you and other believers, and now you're having trouble coming to church. Why? Because you've adopted the hyper-independence mentality. So now you're saying, I don't want to go to church. And the other frustrating thing is our relationships sometimes affect our spiritual walk. In other words, you've allowed someone to upset you so much that you no longer want to come to church. And it's not the pastors, it's not the preaching, it's not anything like that. You've allowed one person to affect your spiritual life and you're blaming the whole church and comparing them to that one person. I see it all the time with people that we like to look for things to say, see, look, look. See, I'm not going to that church anymore. You see what they said to me? Pastor probably thinks the same thing. When pastor has no idea what's going on. But see, that's what the enemy does. He causes this hyper-independence mentality. And so the other thing Jesus does is he builds this system of grace. He, he puts others' needs before his wants. This is something that Jesus has done tremendously well. And we see this with the whole product of grace. The whole purpose of grace is unmerited favor. Does anyone know what unmerited favor is? It means you don't deserve it. It's not merited. You don't have to earn it. You have already have it, right? So Jesus gives us grace even today for sins of the past and for sins of tomorrow. That doesn't mean you go out and sin. Okay? But Jesus gives us that grace. 
So therefore, we should give that grace to other people. And it's gonna take sacrifice. Guess what you're gonna have to sacrifice? You're gonna have to sacrifice your attitude, your old way of thinking, you always trying to find fault and put blame. You're gonna have to sacrifice your pride. You're gonna have to sacrifice proving yourself right all the time. But Pastor Rob, those are the funnest parts of arguing with people. I know, you have to let go of those things. You have to get rid of them. You don't have to be right all the time. Sometimes you just need to say sorry. You know, some people say, well, I don't, I'm not at fault. I'm not gonna say sorry. I said, well, you made them feel a certain way. Well, that's not my fault. I said, well, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> Whose fault was it? Go say sorry. It's not worth it. Why do you have to win? You don't have to win every fight that you fight. Every argument. Spouses, you don't have to win. Right? I said earlier in the first service, it made me laugh. If you get in a fight with your spouse, don't roll your eyes. Well, I'm staying quiet. You know, you take turns. This is some practical things here. Some of you guys need to hear this. You're going to take turns speaking to each other like children, literally like children. One's going to talk and one's going to listen. It's time to be quiet. And you know what? If you can't, if you're there like, well, I have to say something. Well, I, was, I, was, I, I can't, I have to be quiet. No, calm down. You close your mouth. And if you're rolling your eyes, you close your eyes. You're nothing at that point. You're there to listen. That'll save your marriage. You're welcome for that one. But we need to listen. Church, we need to listen. We need to listen to each other. We need to value each other's opinions. Even if you think they're wrong, at least bring some value to that. So, you know, they may be wrong in that, but I need to be better at them not having that perception of me. Maybe they saw something that I did and I didn't realize it. You need to have that type of mentality where you're constantly looking and saying, I want to be more like Jesus. I remember when Jesus, there's a moment in scripture in Matthew chapter 14 where Jesus feeds the 5,000. But if you don't catch it just before then, the reason why that event takes place is because John the Baptist was beheaded. And his best, one of his best friends died. So he gets news that John the Baptist has passed away and he's been beheaded. And you could probably understand that Jesus is, you know, remember, he's 100% human. And so Jesus, he, he's in his emotions, man. His best friend just died. So the Bible says this. Now when Jesus heard this in Matthew 14, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. So Jesus, at this moment, he, he's having a hard time. He needed to get away. He needed to go away. He needed to be in his thoughts. We've all been there when we're grieving over someone we lost or we're having a hard time with something. We just need to be alone. And that's okay. I, what I believe Jesus is doing here is he's going to pray to the Father because we see him do this time and time again throughout the gospel is that he goes away and he begins to pray with the Father. This is a very common practice that Jesus did. But in this moment, he's interrupted. Let's continue to read. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the town. So now they're following him. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus says this, they need not to go away. 
You give them something to eat. And so what ends up taking place is a miracle takes place. You guys know the story? With the five loaves, it turns into 5,000. They have a ton of bread. They have plenty. There's leftovers. I mean, they're just, God works a miracle. In other words, Jesus was not thinking about himself. He allowed the world to interrupt him. He allowed the world to take him out of his grief, take him out of what he wanted to do, and he was gonna put them first. He's gonna grace those people out. Even though he's in the midst of trauma and turmoil, he's gonna grace them out. I love when Pastor Omar says that. You gotta grace people out. Church, you gotta grace each other out. I also love this, but Pastor Omar said this, I think a year ago, you need to make allowances for each other. Because I already told you, we're gonna offend each other, we're gonna hurt each other. But we need to dissolve the conflict that we have. We have a value here in our church. You walk in the hallway, you'll see it. It's called truth and grace, where we speak truth and we do it gracefully. We're not screaming at each other. Brother, you're a sinner. <laughs> no, this isn't, we're not street preaching sin right now. We're gonna take our brother and sister and we're gonna love on them. We're gonna grace them out. But it doesn't mean we get away from the conflict. We go right at the sin. We say, why did you say that? Why did you do that? Did you really mean what you said to me? How, why do you feel that way? These are discussions, right? These are discussions that need to take place because the conflict is so thick that sometimes our emotions get way ahead of us. When we need to realize since God has given us grace, you need to give them grace. Since God has given us truth, we need to give them truth. That doesn't mean after you get into a fight with your spouse that you send her a Bible verse. I've seen it. I've never done that. Don't use the Bible to win battles over your spouse. You ain't perfect. You're not walking on water. You know what that's going to teach your spouse? I've seen this. Not to come to church. Well, God said this and you treat me like that. And I'm, you know, you, you need to love yourself. You know, like God loved the church and you don't love me. It, you just start spitting. Okay, all of a sudden you're a preacher. Everyone's a preacher preaching to their spouse, right? Again, Ephesians 4, 15 says, speak truth in love. Speak truth in love. Simple. We're gonna lean into truth. But how was he able to put, how was Jesus able to put others before his wants? He was mindful of their perspectives. You need to be mindful of other people's perspectives, of you and of situations. Jesus was perfect at this. He always saw the different perspectives that people had and it helped him understand people. Even with the woman at the well, he begins to tell her, you've had five husbands, he tells her the truth, but then he gives her grace and he loves on her, right? And then she, in turn, because of that, because of Jesus' reaction to her shortcomings, we see that she goes, and the Bible says that she begins to tell everybody about what happened in the salvation that she's received, it's powerful to see how much grace and truth can help each other, right? In Philippians chapter two, verse four through five, it says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. In other words, your perspective isn't the only perspective. I like that, that term blind spots. We use that a lot 
at work and at ministry, we always say, what are the blind spots? Let's get together. Let's just talk about some possible blind spots if we make this decision. But remember, there's always blind spots. In your conflict with others, there are blind spots. Things that you think they meant that you misinterpreted. Or there's the blind spot of a completely misunderstanding of the situation. But yet people want to stay mad at each other for the longest times because they don't want to be the first one to say sorry. So simple. Sorry. I remember I go up to brothers I've upset over the years. Are we good? Yeah, we're good. Come to find out we weren't good. We weren't good for several months. I thought we were good. I thought we were fine. You said you were good. I came to you. You said we were good. Yeah, well, you know, I just, I still don't trust you. Why? What did I do to you? Well, we haven't talked since. Oh, well, call me. Right? And we get, we get on this road where we're just like, that's, un, that's unforgiveness. Right? I'm checking on you to make sure that we're good and that I can fix anything that you have a problem with. But you won't even allow me to do that. That's because of your unforgiveness. And we do that to each other. We do that. Ladies do it too. Oh, she's not worth my time. She's not worth my time. Someone said, oh my God. I think I struck a nerve somewhere. She's not worth my time. I'm just going to serve God, serve my church. She ain't. She can't know. It's like, what? You better fix that. You better fix that real quick because it's already messed you up. (laughs) See, grace is not just for your relationship with God. Grace is with your relationship with others as well. You know, I, I, uh, I I took down some quotes. I was looking at some quotes about forgiveness. And this one, this one, this one hit pretty hard. It says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. See, forgiveness is, is, is powerful. Like Jesus forgiving us of our sins. You gotta understand, church, he wouldn't have gone to the cross if he didn't forgive us. It needed to be forgiven beforehand. He needed to forgive beforehand in order to carry the cross and the weight that was about to take place in his life. He needed to prepare himself in his heart to do that for us. How much more should we do that for each other? St. Augustine said this, forgiveness is the remission of sins. For it is by this that, we, that what has been lost and was found is saved from being lost again. A lost friendship. That forgiveness is important. Because if you can learn to forgive, you'll have many friends in life. Jesus also, he emphasized individuals over tasks. In other words, he gave us something called provenient grace. And provenient grace is the grace that is just constantly there. It's like oxygen. In other words, Jesus is ready to apply his grace to us, even when we cuss at him, even when we tell him, why, Lord, I'm mad at you, or, you know, he's already gracing us out. He's already has that grace for us to where even though we're upset with him, he's like, look, you're upset now, but I'm gonna wait for you to come back. And when you come back, just like the prodigal son did, and when you come back, put my robe on him, 
put my ring on his finger, put my sandals on him because my son is back. That's the grace. That's provenient grace. The, the special thing about provenient grace, even in our relationships, we can provide the system of grace. When we're having conflict with each other, draw attention to the grace that's there. Even when you're in your emotion, realize I'm so mad at this person. I'm so upset. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they said that about me. And then you say, you have to have that moment where you say, but I'm, I have to have grace on them so I can talk to them. And you draw attention to it. Speak it. Speak it in your emotions, but I, I got to have grace. I, how am I going to show grace? It should be a reflex. How am I going to show grace in this situation? They've made me so mad. Some of you have done that with your spouse, right? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, is this too real for some of you? I'm, I'm not the senior pastor, so I could say these things. But you get so mad, right? Oh my gosh, I need a minute. It's all right, take the minute. But in that minute, that word grace should somehow come out in your mind. See, provenient grace is you drawing intention to it. Not attention, intention. It's a reflex. I'm gonna be, okay, I'm gonna grace, I gotta find some grace here. Right. And it's even, I'll say this, I'm gonna throw this in, I didn't type this out. You could ask for grace. Discussion not going well. Hey, look, I'm going to need some grace. I messed up. I got me choked up. I messed up. I'm going to need some grace. I'm going to give you grace. I give you grace, but I'm going to need it too. So we can get through this. There's nothing wrong with that. So, so many times we're trying to defend a position that is just doesn't need defense. It just needs grace. In John chapter 21, I see this relationship with Jesus and Peter, where Peter tells Jesus how much he loves him, and he tells him three times, because Jesus asks him three times. It says this, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. And he says, then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt, the Bible says, that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. That relationship continues on. There's a moment in scripture in Matthew chapter 14 where Jesus starts to walk on water. And immediately, Jesus made his disciples, he's telling them, come off the boat. And then Peter says, Lord, do you want me to come to you? And as Jesus is walking on the water, Jesus says, yeah, come to me. Take courage. And he tells them, don't be afraid. Come to me. And so Peter then gets out of the boat, and sure enough, He's walking towards Jesus on the water. And then the Bible says that all of a sudden, Peter turns his thoughts to the wind that was coming. And he became scared in that instant. So it was a third party factor. 
a third party idea. As he's focused on Jesus and as he's walking with Jesus, it's just this little instant where he wavered and he began to worry about the wind even after Jesus told him, take courage, don't be afraid. The Bible says in verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus, the first thing he does is run to him and he grabs him. And he suddenly whispers this, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You were doing just fine. Why did you doubt? Why did you get weak? Why did you waver? You were doing just fine. Why did you doubt? And so if you could put that picture up, there's a picture of Jesus grabbing Peter's arm. You could see that the arms, the hands are locked onto each other's wrists. And what Jesus is doing is he's trying to pull him up. And I think about this relationship at this moment between Jesus and Peter, where Jesus had already asked him, do you love me? Three times. He said, yes, of course I do. And then, Jesus is literally, or Peter is literally partaking into a miracle. As he's walking on water, even the miracles don't keep him from wavering. He wavers. Why? Because it's the human element. He had doubt about Jesus. Some of us have doubt about Jesus. But what's happening here is Jesus is not only saving Peter, but he's saving a relationship. Because he understands that he had lost faith in that moment. So Jesus begins, he's running over there not just to say, but why did you doubt? That's a question about the relationship. Why did you doubt me? You're already doing it. See, some of you, you need to rescue some of the relationships you have. Just like that. Take whatever matters it takes to rescue the relationships. I truly believe that we're all products of the people that we're surrounded by and that we are in each other's lives for a reason, that you're here for a reason, that God has some plan for your life and for the person next to you. And sometimes God will use that person next to you to help you. How much more should we begin to rescue the drowning relationships that we have? We need to give that forgiveness. See, you see what ends up happening? Later on, even after this, Peter denies Jesus three times. Practically turns him in. So I don't know this man. I don't want to be booked with this guy. I don't want to be with him. I don't want to be in trouble. I don't want to be in jail with him. I don't know him. Three times. You know what Jesus does? Completely graces him out. Because later on, in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, Jesus talks to all the disciples. And he says this, then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some, some of them, they doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Peter was there. Even though you've done these things to me, Peter, Jesus is saying, I am with you always to the end of the age. Some of you need to activate that in your relationships. 
brothers are gonna offend each other. Sisters are gonna offend each other. But if you can calmly say, whatever strife, whatever beef we have, I'm gonna be with you always. That's gracing somebody out. Forgiveness. Jesus was great at, at forgiving. You know what Jesus did? Yeah, he went and prayed and he went into solitude to pray a lot. But you know what he did? He finally acted. See, some of us, we just continue to pray and we don't do anything. I'm gonna tell you, you guys need to seek reconciliation with people. Stop praying all the time. Just go do it. You wanna know why? The answer's already there. It's grace. God has already given it to us, therefore we give it to others. So what are you praying for? That they come to you? They say, God, heal, heal me of my marriage. God, heal me of a... Yes, you pray for those things, but at some point, church, you're gonna have to stop praying. You're gonna have to go. You're gonna have to do something. You're gonna have to reconcile. You're gonna have to diffuse the conflict. How are you gonna do that? You use the tools that God uses on us. The grace, the love, the peace, the comfort. That's what you use. And you draw attention to it. And if it means you asking, I need some grace, then you say it. Is that all right? I seek with Jesus, you know, I, I, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter five, verse 23. He starts talking about us holding on to, to strife, to pain, that we cause each other. And he says, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. See, you know what scares me? That when we hold bitterness, when we hold conflict together, when we hold that in our hearts and then we try to worship God, that is very hypocritical and God sees it. God wants you to go fix that, then come worship. So when you're lifting your hands and praising, when you're lifting your hands and you're saying, God, I love you. Yeah, but do you love his children? You need to go fix that relationship. And then we can, we can work on our relationship. That's a heavy verse. See, some of us are holding on to things, the trauma, the pain, the, the negative relationships we have, we're not, fixing them, we're not fixing them at all. But yet we're just gonna still worship God like everything's okay. You need to get right every aspect of your life, church. All your relationships need to be altered for the good because you've been altered. If you would just bow your heads with me. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.